The theme for tonight is, of course, this is for forgiveness and aspiration, isn't it? So, uh, uh, what we've been doing now for many years, I don't know, maybe right from the beginning, uh, I don't know how long this dates back, the traditional forgiveness and aspiration ceremony at the end of the year. And uh, a couple of weeks ago, I, I received a question, which I, I've kept for tonight because it fits uh, very well with, with tonight's theme. Um, uh, the, the question was, uh, can you talk about the, the Buddhist perspective on forgiveness and reconciliation? Um, I think to me, when, when I, I think about it, the problem is it, it is uh, the first well, reconciliation, forgiveness, I mean, they, they belong close together, isn't it? So I, I mainly reflect just on, on the idea of, of forgiveness. It's obviously a very good idea, isn't it? Maybe probably all of us will probably agree that um, uh, what well, we do tend to, in, in, in our life, um, have experiences that uh, not just say unpleasant, but where we feel where we um, feel hurt perhaps by. Uh, other people not treated the way we think we deserve to be treated and, and often accumulate or, or struggle with this anger, resentment, and the, the experience of that just, just being painful you know, to, to, to have this uh, reverberating, say, in the, whole, in the system, in the mind, even in the body. And often, if that's the case, the, the difficulty of um, letting go of of resentment and uh, being able to experience forgiveness. And if it happens, then, then we, are, we are aware of, of course, that that's a, a very beautiful and helpful and, and important experience. It's like a healing, isn't it? a healing of the heart from which it allows us then to uh, reestablish uh, perhaps, you know, a connection with a person if they are, if you have an ongoing relationship with them, or at least in our internal relationship to people or situations and allows us to, to move on. But it might sometimes see, seem a bit like of a mystery how this is actually possible. Um, it's not immediately obvious to me, like even if I reflect on my own experience, how does it actually happen when, you know, sometimes I seem to be able to forgive, sometimes it just doesn't seem to happen. What is actually makes the difference? Uh, and I think the, the problem is that forgiveness is, to, to my understanding anyway, is not something that can, that can be directly like this kind of practice, you know. How do we practice forgiveness? You know, I think, or should forgive, should we forgive? You know, is it a good idea to forgive? Uh, I've, I remember I mean, Ajahn Munindo uh, more than once referred to this incident, the, the, the case of this, was it a Christian vicar, it a minister? Uh, the, the story was that, that she lost a, a husband, I think, in the, in the bombings in London on the 7th of July a few years ago. And that she, she felt she couldn't uh, forgive 
the, the bombers. And because that went uh, so directly against the, the, say, the Christian idea, precept of, of forgiving, she actually left, uh, she, she dropped her job, left the church, or at least her, if not the church, her, her, her profession as a vicar. So that speaks, of course, of the, this, the, the importance of, this, you know, of this, 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 this need of, you know, as almost as, of this spiritual quality of forgiveness and the sense of failure that we might have, you know, if, if we feel we can't do it, you know, and the helplessness around it, because if the, our heart is, is uh, contracted with a sense of lack of forgiveness, you know, what to do about it. And, so t- to me, f- first thing that comes to mind to me is this thing is that it's really forgiveness, if it happens, it's more like uh, a result you know, of our practice rather than a practice in itself, it seems to me. And in, in that sense, it's, uh, it's similar to when we talk about, talk about letting go. You know? Like in uh, Buddhist teaching, we, we, we talk a lot about letting go or letting be, as I sometimes prefer to translate. You know? So a translation for... Um, the, the certain noble truths, cessation. Uh, Ajahn Sumedho often uses or likes to use this uh, translation for the certain noble truths as letting go, as let go of what you hold on to, of attachment. Uh, and actually, uh, sometimes even better translated as letting be, as you know, letting go can have this subtle sense of wanting to get rid of something, isn't it? So then often it's actually not letting go but pushing away, you know, and just try to let go of this, try to let go of this. Right? So letting be has more the sense that we actually allow something that is unpleasant, that is painful to just be there and not creating any suffering, any conflict around it, not creating any resistance. And that itself, when it happens, um, seems to sometimes just allow just a suffering just to dissolve almost mysteriously. And it's the same question. You know, I remember that's one of the first talks that I actually read by Ajahn Sumedho, when I was in, in Sri Lanka, before I became a monk, I actually went to Sri Lanka to become a monk there. One of the reasons I didn't become a monk in Sri Lanka was uh, I got quite inspired by the teachings of uh, both Ajahn Chah and Ajahn Sumedho. And one of it was a, was a little book that actually Sri Lankan monks gave me of uh, Ajahn Sumedho, the teachings of a, by a Buddhist monk, I think it was one of his first books of his. And I seem to remember there was a talk about them, he talks about this letting go. He had heard about, you know, from Ajahn Chah that one should let go. So he, he, he used this as a mantra, you know, let go, let go, let go. And then he was just wondering, how do you, how you do this? He was just experiencing that he couldn't let go, you know, just try to let go, let go, you know. But he was just experiencing holding on. You know, so how do you do this, you know? Well, just let go. How do you know? Just, let, let, just do it, you know, let go, let go. And it just didn't seem to happen. The letting go is something that happens, you know, when the conditions uh, for letting go are in place. And so what all we can do in practice is, of course, not, let, let, not trying hard to let go, which is, in a way, another way of you know, just holding on <laughs> or getting tense, creating conflict, is to cultivate the conditions that allow letting go to happen. And one uh, chief, say, ingredient for that, you know, in the Buddhist teaching, the Buddha called his teaching a wisdom teaching, is, of course, understanding. And this understanding has to be about how we're actually holding on, you know, in important ways on different levels. It can be just understanding how we are holding on, what that means, how that is actually, how we're actually doing it, you know? Think of it like, it's like, if you, like how you hold on something, like if in, when you do it with a physical 
activity, like if there's tension in the body, you know, if you feel tension in your arm, you say, oh, I'm tense, I'm tense. First of all, you can notice if actually doing it, you know, how we do it, and that it is actually really painful, you know, then we can actually let go. You know, when we understand that something that we're doing, then we might actually also understand that something that we can stop doing. So it's on various levels, no? The understanding of actually the suffering involved, the understanding that is actually something that we are ultimately responsible for, it's something that we are doing, and therefore also something that we can stop doing. And perhaps sometimes that's not enough. Sometimes we also have to understand more about the underlying conditions, you know, that hold actually this holding on in place, that, that does not that do not allow us to actually let go or let be. And as it applies in generally, like with this third noble truth of holding on, I think it's also in the specific sense of what we can perhaps call what's the opposite of forgiveness. Now, I guess closest I could come up with is, is resentment. So it's kind of holding on to anger, to blame, to blaming, say, other people for our suffering and needing to project it out. Uh, we're holding on to something there, to understand what's actually happening there, you know, how we are doing it, and how it causes us pain. And sometimes, you know, sometimes we need more. Sometimes we need to go a bit more underneath to finding out what's, what's actually holding it in place. So saying, if we feel, if that's a problem for us, if it's something we're carrying um, with us, and tonight part of this ritual is, is of course, the invitation. You know, the first part is the forgiveness to... Uh, write on, on a paper maybe all the things that we feel uh, we need to ask forgiveness for from other people or from ourselves no? uh, or things that we want to forgive no? so and if we then if we then if we contemplate that maybe throughout this evening what those things are how they feel no? in, in ourselves how this might be painful or you feel like constriction of the heart um, if it's something that we are suffering from then we cannot just decide. No, of course, we can decide just to forgive, but we just might realize, well, if it's not happening, then what do we need actually to do? It's not enough then just to have the good intention to forgive. That's what we have to contemplate then, is what's actually there, which is not the forgiveness, but the resentment, the holding on to something. Mm-hmm. So uh, the first answer then, let's say the first answer of what, what to do, what to cultivate uh, in order to arrive at the experience of forgiveness is this kind of contemplation, investigation, you know, noticing what is actually um, the opposite of forgiveness that, you know, that we're experiencing, what is resentment, what is actually happening there, how we're doing it, how can we stop doing well, what, what, what is actually what are the underlying causes you know, that, that um, impede us from moving on, from letting go. So one, one thing that, that, that sometimes perhaps can be a misunderstanding there, I, I don't know. Um, now, if, if somebody has say, said or done something to us in the past that we feel hurt by, whenever we think about it or this comes up, we're feeling this pain in our mind, in our body, we might think that that's a sign that well, well, if we, we haven't for, forgiven them. Also sometimes we might think, if we can practice forgiveness, if we can forgive her, then it's somehow going away. The pain is somehow going away. Now, that, that might happen, but I think that certainly not, doesn't have to be the case. I think it's even in, in many cases probably very unlikely. 
So that could be, that could be uh, an unfortunate misunderstanding because that's natural if, if, you know, something, somebody, something unjust or unfair or brutal, even or harmful has happened to us, that when we remember that, the, pain, the, the, the memory of that is, is going to be painful. In most cases, the pain just doesn't go away. That's, that's natural to feel the pain. I think the difference from, from you know, having forgiveness or not is whether we can actually just allow the pain to be there and just feel the pain. That's a form of letting be. Or whether actually we, we feel still the need to actually invest or react to this pain with resentment. Now that's something that we actually onto it, you know, the projection, projecting it out to a circumstance or to people or something, somebody that uh, we, we feel we need to blame for having caused this, or, you know, thinking having caused this, this pain to us. You know? It's in some way maybe a way in which we, we try to alleviate the, the suffering Basically, of not being capable or not, 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 not having the, the, the strength yet to actually just, just holding, just allowing the pain just to be there and just feeling it, you know, without needing to become defensive. You know, this is, it's one way of, of defending, actually. You know, sometimes they say the best, some people say, you know, sometimes that the best defense is attack. So that's one, that's one expression of that, isn't it? Somebody hurt me, so we, we want to get back, we want revenge, you know. And sometimes we take revenge and, and, Maybe think, you know, or maybe feel a first kind of a relief, some release of energy there, which then, of course, usually just keeps the, the, the struggle, say, between people going, you know, projection, counter-projection, you know, aggression, counter-aggression, and um, there we have uh, world history, isn't it? It gets passed down from generation to generation. And sometimes, say, if we feel we can't do that, then at least we can, then we might uh, just imagine, you know, we can at least imagine, fantasize, you know, uh, about taking revenge. You know, just just uh, fantasizing about taking revenge or just, just imagine wishing other people that they may be unwell or that bad things might, might happen to them. And we might feel some relief from them. I mean, that is kind of investing then the pain or, or re- responding to it. Uh, with sorts of feelings of hatred, of, of resentment. And that can be, of course, be quite, we can notice that, isn't it? If you have a contemplative practice, if you contemplate, see how does it actually affect us, really poison, say, our inner world, our emotional world. And uh, the irony of that is, is of course, that, that first of all, we are the ones that, that, that are suffering from it, and we might be the only ones. No. That can be another kind of additional kind of reflection, a Buddhist Reflection, certainly not just a Buddhist reflection, but something that the Buddha recommended to actually see um, that, that something like anger, first of all, hurts or burns the person who's angry. You know, it's like picking up a hot iron ball to throw it at your enemy. The first one that gets burned is you. you know, whether you actually hit your enemy or not is not sure yet. You know? <laughs> we often just miss that. So even sometimes you look at it, it can be actually almost quite comical. How like the, the the person that we are angry at, they might just be totally, you know, blissfully unaware of our, how we are steaming with anger and having a jolly good time somewhere else. You know, and we are the ones who are suffering. You know, and some are just feeling as if we get something out of it. You no, know? but we are actually the only ones who are burning with the anger. So actually, really to see that, notice that, and the fertility of that, you know, and to see who's actually the victim of our fantasies of revenge is us. You know? sometimes that that can be enough. No, just to see that you really to let go of that. 
there are other reflections that we can use uh, uh, that the Buddha offered, you know, the, the classic uh, Buddhist reflections on impermanence, on uh, dukkha and non-self. You know. It's also uh, that the Buddha recommended the reflection on death you know, and the thought about if we, if we knew that we had only, say, a few more months to live, no? Would we want to die with the feelings of resentment or hatred uh, or, or lack of forgiveness that we might carry with, with ourselves in our relationships? Maybe we do. I, I don't know. But most people usually, if, if, they, if they do know, if they come to, uh, towards uh, uh, death, feel this kind of urge about you know, clearing up you know, conflicts, um, resentments, and to help actually to... Know, to let go, to let be, and to move on in, in a peaceful way. You know, want to. There's usually an extra incentive, actually, to to forgive. We can use that as a reflection. You know, what what if if we if it been, you know, you know, if we, if we die in a week, you know, or if we die tomorrow, you know, and we can never know, actually, or in a couple of hours, you know, or in five minutes, you know. So what, what, what we want to hold on to the, the unforgiveness, to the resentment in that case. You know? And if you don't, well, why not just let go of it now? Something we can, another reflection that we can use, that we can try. And the reflection on, on, on dukkha, of course, I mean, it's very obvious, our own, we see our own suffering in, the, in our anger and our resentment. But also just to see the universality of it, you know? how we are all uh, imperfect, no, struggling with ignorance, how you know that we all, you know, sometimes do things that uh, hurt each other. Huh? Just if you just reflect on just seeing uh, the other people, the, the frailty of the human condition, and how it's all pervasive. You know, just um, realizing. I mean, right now, you know, on this planet, all the things that that will be going on. You know, how people suffer and create suffering for each other, and this suffering that we might experience from from some injustice or whatever it is that you know that we have where we have been on the receiving end, um, it's just, say, our maybe small, smallish or bigger part of, you know, that we need to have the experience that we are, you know, that we carry from this universal suffering in which we all share as human beings. That can maybe help us see also um, the humanness and the suffering in the, the, the people, the particular person perhaps that we feel resentful towards and might help us to re-establish a kind of connection with them on this human level and encourage a sense of forgiving them. And another thing that actually came up for me is sometimes something that you might want to look at and try sometimes is just to sidestep, as it were, the feelings of, of resentment going on in the mind. Um, sometimes if I, you know, I just feel I've been treated not right or something that's just going something on in the mind for a while where everyone is just I mean that's just the nature isn't it of, of those things sometimes you really get absorbed into it and just if you're just kind of energizing it and just really kind of busy with it but then every now and then of course you, you can't I trust your mind is fairly similar to mine and no matter how strong those kind of things it's never constant isn't it I mean sometimes you really get strongly for, for you know periods of time Involved in that, but there's always the mind always gives us breaks every now and then, you know. And then sometimes I, I like to use that and notice that, you know, when I just I just suddenly 
you know, out of my anger, whatever, I'm just thinking about something else. And it's very interesting. And suddenly you get busy with something else and then just it totally disappears. Even when, when you're carrying a lot of hurt and resentment in your mind, there's also there's a lot of other stuff going on in the mind. And if I can just notice it and put it into, con- put it into contrast, it can help to put a p- bit of perspective on it. You know, if I suddenly get distracted in some, you know, or just attracted in some other kind of contemplation that brings me into a totally different also emotional realm of the mind. And then suddenly I notice, oh, just ten minutes ago, my mind was kind of really churning with, with resentment and anger. And now I'm just, you know absorbed in a completely different emotion. And then suddenly, you know, I've, I've said the choice now, suddenly, aha, you know, I remember this other person again, and I could move back into resentment. But suddenly I just notice, aha, you know, it's, it's not all resentment in the mind. It's a certain kind of choice. And it puts also those, those emotions a bit in a, in a perspective, you know, makes, creates a bit more uh, space around it. Two other things around that I still have in mind. One is, one is just the, more the, the contemplation of the, I was saying about sometimes what, what kind of underlie, underlies, you know, lies beneath our, uh, our, our, say our resentment, our anger, our felt or apparent lack of capacity to forgive. You know, if all these reflections and good intentions and we just notice, well, it doesn't, it still, it just doesn't happen. Well, sometimes it just needs a, a sustained kind of investigation, which we can also do sometimes in, in, in meditation. You know, we can do it, of course, any time. We can contemplate any time, and we have some bit, you know, kind of space for it, quite enough time. But also in formal meditation, when the mind is more settled, you know, to, to specifically intentionally put attention towards that, go, to go right there when it comes up, you know, the feeling of resentment, to actually locate it, not just in your mind, but also in the body. You know, usually something that we feel in the body, Nothing else said what we're actually doing there, how does it feel? It's probably usually something that we find in the body. And then use the contemplative state of the mind, the relative quiet, to just hold that feeling in consciousness, with attention, and then really consciously ask questions, you know, into that meditative state. Ask if you like in, in, in questions to that feeling in itself, you know? you know, questions of the type of like why is this so difficult for me? Uh, or what is this all about? Mm-hmm. What is underlying this blockage, maybe, that I feel? Mm-hmm. Is there something that I don't know yet? No. Some conditions, perhaps, that, that makes this so particularly um, difficult for me or that make me so you know, stubbornly kind of holding on to it, investing in this feeling that I don't know yet about. You know, sometimes we just have to learn to stay with the not knowing, is that what our experience is? No, accept that. You know, the feeling with, with, with that vulnerability, the fact that we feel kind of stuck there, can't forgive, don't know what it's about. Well, it means maybe some information, vital information, is, just, is, not, is still lacking there. So then rather than tr- trying hard to have the answer or pretending to have the answers, we might just really have to just ask good questions, pertinent questions. You know, asking into that space you know, where we don't know and then just make ourselves receptive hmm? to let you know, the body, the mind, the feeling talk back to us. Sometimes that's my, my experience, at least. That sometimes it, it does reveal actually some underlying issues that maybe are not clear for me at the outset because I haven't paid proper attention to it or even not asked the questions. And those can be of various kinds. 
Because the fact that sometimes um, we, we can't forgive was particularly difficult for us. It had a lot to do with our past conditioning you know, that make perhaps particular things that happen to us now particularly hurtful or make them have a particular s- strong effect you know, much more than to other people. Sometimes, you know, it's, I don't know how it is for you, but it can be the completely, feel completely out of proportion. You know, like with many other emotions, and depending on our conditioning, we all have kind of particular favorite ones. We might um, see that, like, say, something like, like getting angry or nourishing, investing in resentment. You know, the, the intensity of that kind of feeling can be quite independent from the apparent incidents that led to it. You know, we can feel the same, apparently the same amount of indignation about something uh, really minor that might happen. Uh, as uh, some really kind of major kind of affront, you know, somebody being really mean to, to me, uh, and or somebody just really, apparently, if, I, if I'm just really clear and rational about it, quite insignificant. Yet I can can bring up a lot of, invest a lot of feeling or emotion into it. If I experience that, then well, I, I look at that and and wonder, and one thing that I I then contemplate and use as a contemplation is just to just to go back to acknowledge kind of past conditioning in my life. Uh, we have what the, what, the Buddha called, um, what the Buddha called latent tendencies. I don't know whether you have um, heard about this. It's an uh, English translation for one of those Pali terms. There's, there has been an old model, or, well, it's not that an old model, a fairly kind of uh, more recent kind of Western model of the mind about, about perception has worked a lot about as our, our mind is kind of seeing, understanding the world through the perception that we get uh, through the senses. You know? So that all the time the, the mind receives through all our senses impressions from the world. And so we always put this picture you know, of the world together, which we then r- relate to. Um, more, more recent, I think, um, Results from from the various kind of neurosciences, or something, have, it's, to my understanding, have actually revealed a slightly different kind of version of how the mind uh, operates. So it's really much more that the, the mind, you know, so the human, in the brain, you know, certain areas in the brain, it's like always is there's like almost like a pressure from the inside, which that the mind is always creating actually an internal representation of the world. You know, so, so this is kind of an internal activity, a push. It's always creating this representation, and while it's actually doing that, it's almost creating actually the world, you know, the world that we're actually relating to as an internal representation that the mind, as the brain actually creates, it uses a sense perception actually just to, you know, the input, the, the immediate input in the present of the, of the senses, just as to have a rough kind of check you know, of the internal representation against what's actually coming in from the outside as perception. And you see that that is actually is, is a, remains a, a good enough model, you know? so that actually whatever um, actions uh, we, we we intend to make are actually still kind of adequate, you know, depending on our representation. So just to keep a keep a good enough representation, Though the representation that the, that the mind is actually creating is of course based on past information. You know, it means. Is actually the, the only way that the mind can actually, or the, the brain, if you, if you use, let's say, the brain as a physical organ you know, that, that uh, responsible for um, the experience that we call mind, 
is actually able to deal with the complexity of sensory stimulus through all the different senses. Uh, It has to actually economize a lot. And one way it does is it actually doesn't kind of online, on time, all the time, process all the input that that comes through the senses all the time. It would be much too much. There's not actually enough capacity in terms of nerve cells and connections in, in, in the brain to actually do that. What it does is always actually builds on a model that has actually been created from all the information that we have accumulated from the past, and it just updates it slightly through new impo- in- input. You know, so it can actually only need some input to always check that this is actually, you know, so it actually creates the representation of the main from past information and only updates it, so checks it against kind of new input that comes in. Now, which is one of the, and, and this past information, which is interesting, is of course also our conditioning. And part of this, if like this, this is part of why our mind is so conservative and why it's so difficult to change habits. No? And the interesting thing in, in this context is also that it applies to our emotional habits. Because part of this, this information through which we kind of recreate you know, the, the, the apparent world out there that we relate to all the time you know, is our emotional past, what happens, what happens to us in the past emotionally. You know, and most uh, strongly, of course, are the things that, you know, that have had the most uh, st- strongest kind of emotional impact and had, have conditioned us. You know, that's, that's one way to me it relates to what, what the Buddha called latent tendency. Part of that is that it means that you already look at the world through this particular kind of filter that we have, you know, which has been created through our experience from the past. So if that has created a particular tendency, for example, to be jealous, you know, we already look at the world all the time that way. We, we, it's like we're looking all the time for something that we could get jealous about. You know, we, so we're already prone. There's a latent te- we have a latent tendency to become jealous. So we already interpret all the new sense input through this past program. And the same I can see, say, like for myself, for the, the, the tendency, kind of the internal push of like latent tendency to get, say, irritated or annoyed, you know, which can sometimes make for the fact that, that we get irritated about very minor things in a way that is kind of seems totally out of proportion. Because I can sometimes, depending on the time of the day or the mood I'm in, or, you know, there's this, this already this underlying tendency of any this, I can see in my mind already this tendency to get irritated. It's almost like I'm already looking for something you know, that I can get irritated about so that I can get some righteous indignation going. And, and just to, so as I said, my present experiences proves to me already this program. So you see how they all kind of don't treat me fair, no? Or, you know, don't acknowledge me, you know, appropriately. Or whatever program we have, you know, if we have a tendency of the, to feeling, you know, f- depending on our past, perhaps childhood e- experience of being abandoned or something, we're always already scanning our experience for the for possibilities of uh, being abandoned again and, and repeating this and thereby, therefore repeating this experience of feelings of abandonment. And we might even have already you know, a reactive program in hand to protect ourselves against it. You know? So before anybody else can abandon us again, we already make sure that we push them away first. You know? And then we wonder why we always have difficulties ever getting into any kind of trusting or close relationship because when everybody, some, ever there's an opportunity, somebody that's close to us, our mind already starts to get alert and, oh, it's dangerous because we might get hurt again you know? because that's happened to us in the past. We made ourselves vulnerable trusted people, and then they may have betrayed us. So something, you know, really beyond our immediate conscious control, 
starts already kind of suffuse our experience with this be alert, danger, this is not, don't trust. No? And then we, we just push perhaps other people away in, 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 a, in some, somehow kind of semi-conscious, you know, well-meant sense to protect ourselves from maybe being, being betrayed in the future. But then we have the frustrating experience that we don't even get, you know, into a, a kind of satisfying or kind of close trusting relationship in the pers- first place. We just re-experience our fear. You know. What we experience as a fear of, of closeness or trust is actually an underlying fear of abandonment and of betrayal. Of betrayal you know. So all those kind of things are, are usually, you know, to most people, most of the time, not clear or obvious at all. We, don't, we often don't really have any... Um, access to these underlying programs, you know, which condition our relationships and our ways of interaction with other people or particular situations. Now, this is one thing in meditation, you know, we're bringing attention to the body, to the way things feel, to the way how we think, images that come up in the mind, how they relate to our physical feeling, our mood, you know, the, what, what we sense in our, our interaction with other people to come to the surface and therefore can then be acknowledged, can be investigated, and we can create space around it. You know, that's sometimes what actually needs to be addressed, needs to be received, where we actually need to let go, let be first, to actually address the kind of underlying conditions that, that might hold a, an experience like resentment you know, in, in place so that we can't actually let go of it. I guess sometimes it can be a, long, a very long process. And one, one more thing that we can of co- uh, do actually to help this process is just to really cultivate quite independently, or we should say to forgive or be more forgiving, be it in general or in a concrete case. It's just to general in our practice to, de- to use our practice to develop qualities in the heart, underlying qualities of the heart that create an atmosphere you know, in, in the heart, a resource that, that will make uh, forgiveness more possible or easier. So if, if we can't cultivate forgiveness as such, uh, so we, can, we can cultivate qualities like uh, kindness. No? The Buddha offered the, the Brahma Viharas, the first of the divine abidings, as I kind of call it, the first of them is just kindness. The kindness and, and actually the, the other one that the Buddha always recommended is generosity. No? Usually in the, in the gradual teaching, the Buddha starts actually with generosity which uh, apparently he recognized as the, the positive quality that human beings can have, which is most accessible to most human beings. Even if for most of the partner of life you're really kind of nasty and stingy and, and cruel or whatnot, at least if the Buddha is, is, um, is right, you still, there'll be um, times and mo- moments in our life that we, that we can actually be uh, generous, at least to some beings. <laughs> Uh, well, most of us, I think, we're probably already you're not, you're not all that nasty people, I trust. No? I don't know what kind of self-image you carry around, but if you made it here tonight, I think you're probably already doing pretty well, um, no, as if we, if we compared to kind of the average of kind of states of consciousness that's kind of around on the planet. Uh, but I think there is the option to actually consciously cultivate those more beautiful and helpful qualities no? that we all in some way can access uh, in the heart. As the Buddha said, if the, the heart is unobstructed, it's naturally kind, it's naturally receptive, it's naturally generous, it's actually an innate quality of the heart. So it's something that we all have and we all, I trust, can experience sometimes. 
at least sometimes, and in various degrees, of course. Now, if you can experience sometimes, and that's why I said at the beginning of the meditation, it's sometimes then, even if you don't feel it perhaps now, or sometimes you might just really just simply forget, be distracted with something else, we can use our mind, but through memory, to actually bring up, we can bring up a memory you know, of a situation or when we have felt generosity, when we have felt kindness, or what in, in the classic kindness meditation, meta meditation, usually use kind of just the memory of a, a person or somebody or situation. Somebody that we have particular reason to feel grateful towards. In our meditation, we can bring up memory of, of that person quite consciously. And then we can just see, that's a, that's a way of really cultivating that. But how does that actually feel in the body? Do we actually feel a resonance or something in the body? And if we do that, then we particularly pay attention to that and try to you know, cultivate it just by, by paying attention and almost kind of massaging you know, attention into that feeling and, and allowing it to suffuse, suffuse the whole body and the mind. That's something that we can just uh, return to again and again in meditation. And in fact, uh, with a classical kind of meditation uh, instructions, as, as I'm aware of, like from in Thailand or Asia, Buddhist meditation, Asian teachers will usually always teach that you always do it some conscious metta, kindness practice at, practice at the beginning of every form of meditation. It's just five minutes, ten minutes. You know, it's just a way of creating the right kind of atmosphere, you know, tuning the heart, as it were, if you manage to do that. We notice it make, makes quite a difference to the experience of meditation that we have, you know, the quality of our attention, the quality of our heart during meditation. And um, over time, this practice, the same as like with, with just the idea of informed meditation, just cultivating awareness to the breath or just being present. You know, it's something that maybe you will notice or you have noticed, sometimes quite suddenly and strongly or something, just, just very slowly, almost imperceptibly, will be just become more available as a resource to our mind, to our heart, in our daily life. It just becomes a, like a new habit that we create, you know, access to a new resource that we actually all have. You know. So that it becomes more natural that in a situation when we feel challenged uh, and when we may be usually out of old conditioning, old habits, we would have turned towards resentment, towards revenge. Ah, we remember there's also another possibility. Or we can remember kindness. You know, we can remember generosity. And also generosity, kindness is very... It's very closely related. You know, forgiving is a form of generosity, isn't it? It's something that we offer, something that we can give. Mm-hmm. So just by remembering that possibility, even if it's the beginning, notice how this is already a very important step. Even if what we actually experience is that we find it difficult, that we're struggling with it, that we can't do it, that we already remember there is this other possibility. And we know it, it is something, it is a capacity that we have. It's a natural capacity of the heart. It's a resource that is there. It might be clouded. It might be difficult for us in a certain situation to access, but it's there. And with patience, you know, we can come back to that. We can cultivate it. And slowly, slowly, you will find maybe that it's something that just comes more natural. Suddenly it's just obvious. You say, oh, why hang on to this? You know, why, just, why not just be generous and let go of this? Maybe many five times, six times, how not many times you try and do that and think, well, nice idea, but it doesn't work. But you never know what happens next time. You know, one time suddenly maybe you find this idea and it actually happens. You know, it can be quite a surprise. Or what a pleasant surprise. And you suddenly realize, well, I don't really have to hang on to this. It's actually okay. I can just forgive. And you realize, oh, well, it just happens. Seems like magic. Seems like if it does happen, like that, it seems like you didn't do anything about it. It just, it just seems suddenly natural that you don't even start to invest 
no resentment. You don't, might just feel the pain, you know, but you might just suddenly see that this hurt, you can just allow to be there, just allow to hurt. It hurts, okay, that's fine. That's part of the human experience, the experience of being conscious. We don't have to say there's not an obligation to react to hurt with resentment. And suddenly sometimes you might just notice that it also just hurts. And you just naturally feel no resentment. You say, how did that happen? It seems to be that, that we haven't done anything. But that's partly because maybe all of those years and before that we actually cultivated you know, a spirit, a quality of kindness in the heart. And suddenly the heart, because it's been prepared like that, you know, and has learned to, to find and to connect and to use that resource, natural resource of kindness, that it doesn't contract. And so you don't resent. No? Or it does contract, but as soon as you notice, oh, this is actually not, this hurts, and it's not necessary. You actually, there's the, the tendency of, no, 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 of letting go, letting be is actually stronger. Or sometimes it might still take a long time, but at least the, the impulse is there, the intention is there, and you'll trust that, and you, you lean into that way, and then sooner or later, it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And in that same sense, I guess also the, the, the second part, reconciliation, of course, I think it's just, it's just something that naturally would, will, will just happen. Again, it's just a result you know, that, that, that happens, will happen, you know, if those conditions are in, in place, and therefore forgiveness happens, and then reconciliation can happen. I think the mistake would be, again, if you hold that as an idea or even an ideal, and notice how that can easily be um, invested with a sense of self, again, or that we actually fix a situation into, uh, here's me, and there's you, and we have an argument, and therefore we are at loggerheads or something, or I'm resenting you, and we need to reconciliate, we have to have reconciliation. You know, we, can actually, that can, we can actually fix the situation that's actually investing the self-view into that fixing, you know, fixing situation. You know, whereas if, and then and trying hard to do that, you know, or even impose it you know, on ourselves or on others, I should reconcilia, reconcilia, reconciliate myself. Reconcile, oh, so yes. Uh, um, excuse my English. <laughs> uh, we should reconcile, or you should reconcile. No, no if you'd rather trust the, the practice, no? practice, the practice of kindness, going back to this, to be patient no? with our wounds, with our resentment, receiving it, don't resist it, contemplate it, remember your resources, remember to compli- co- uh, contemplate the deeper you know, the, the um, conditions that hold your resentment in place and trust the process. Then when forgiveness happens, you know, that movements, trusting that movement, then reconciliation will happen. It's just, it's just the movement. You know. it's, it, and it's actually then, it's, it's just a, it's a natural movement um, that just reaffirms, you know, our fact of our connection that we actually all have, whether we want it or not, you know, as, as conscious beings. And this is a realm of... Connectivity. We don't live in isolation. There's a natural tendency. First of all, see how everything moves. You know? It's the law of impermanence. Everything moves. Even, even you know, eventually, uh, the things that we hold on to, resentment, we won't be able to hold on to them forever. Uh, and then this, this movement starts reconciliation, this forgiveness. It's actually a natural movement if you allow it to happen that way. And um, the last thing, I'd just, I'd just like to finish this with... Um, I guess a couple of, of poems. I, I just, when I thought about this, I remember that somewhere I'd used the word forgiveness um, in this collection of poems that some of you might know that's kind of around the shelves. Um, 
poems that I've written over the years. And so I, I went on a search on my laptop, put in the word forgiveness, and searched the manuscript. And there's not much forgiveness in my poems, but I found two instances. The first one is just, just to read a small part of a, a poem, which comes in in three sections. And this is, this is the, the last section, third section of a poem which... Um, in translation, the originals are in German, so this is what I read, are English translations. Translation, it's, it's called Before You Know It. Seal your heart for a while with the wound of the world. Nothing is actual. Everything is other. All is already forgiven. What you do is done before you know it. Now this... This poem, as a small bit of a poem, tries to point, if you like, to the um, to an experience or to well, to well, what it would seem to me in, in my rather limited um, experience of those things as a kind of more the absolute sense uh, of forgiveness, um, the sense of in the present moment, if you establish an awareness, we can see that that in, in one sense. Everything is already forgiven. Something that is more, that is uh, uh, much uh, um, bigger than ourselves. Anything that we can uh, identify with is already forgiven. Even perhaps our own sense of internal struggle with the with the lack of forgiveness. Mm-hmm. The fact that that can actually be an experience that we can relate to, possibly in our meditation. So I read it again. Seal your heart for a while with the wound of the world. Talking about the, uh, what, I, what I was mentioning about the, 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 the contemplation, the opening towards the universality of suffering. Not really open to our sense of our own wounding and to realize that this is actually a part of a universal sense of, of dukkha that we share actually with that in the suffering. You know, that is, that is all pervasive in, 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 in conscious experience. We are not alone in this. So seal your heart for a while with the wound of the world. Nothing is actual. Nothing is as it seems to be. Everything is other. All is already forgiven. What you do is done before you know it. And the second poem talks, I think, a bit more about the personal aspect of it. It's called Faces in the Dark. At the end of the aborted journey, every complete sentence is too long. The disturbing images return. A sacrifice at the shrine of beauty grants the horrors a moment of quiet. We offer our faces marked by misconceptions. Perhaps we receive the gift of forgiveness. <laughs> 